let me give you a recap on the book of Jonah. Um, first, I did have someone come to me last week and let me know that um, a very precious request, um, and that is that um, English is their third language and was wondering if I could preach slower. <laughs> and I said, English is my first language. No. So I, 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 <laughs> I didn't say that, you guys. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I told him the truth. I will try. Um, it's just been eight years, and it's never happened before. But if the Lord can take Jonah out of the belly of a fish, <laughs> my God, can't he do? <laughs> so we'll see how that we'll see how that how that goes. Um, it didn't go so great in the first hour, so why should it go any different this hour? We'll see. Um, so recap on Jonah. We said that the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of the prophets, and that Jonah is. One of the minor prophets. There's major prophets, Isaiah and so forth, and there's minor prophets, 12 minor prophets. Jonah's a minor prophet. Major prophets are those who wrote a lot, um, and it had global implications. So not their significance as the prophet, but what they wrote. Minor prophets are those who wrote little, and it, it was more specific. Now, in this particular case, Jonah is still unique among all the prophets in that we don't know a whole lot about Jonah until we get into the book of Jonah. The only thing that we have is this obscure um, one moment of reference of Jonah prophesizing on behalf of a king who was a really bad king and saying that this king was going to have military uh, favor, even though another prophet had prophesied that he wasn't going to. So there's this weird sense about Jonah. And what we gather from that text and from Jonah is Jonah is not the best human being in the world. He loves God, but he, and he really loves Israel. In fact, his issue is he thinks that God loves Israel and Israel only. And so he has a tattoo that says, God bless Israel. But he, in, a, in a southern, like, God bless Israel. Right? And so there's a, because it's more intense that way. He's a nationalist. He's a racist. And yet he's a follower of God. So believe it or not, there could be people who could be nationalists and racists and so followers of God. And what I'm trying to get at is that there's a, there's a Jonah in all of us. Jonah is not the most ideal person to follow. However, it's not about us following Jonah. It's who is God and how does he reveal himself in the book of Jonah that we may be convicted of our own prejudices and that we could, that we could be able to follow and know God. And so week one, what we saw is God calls Jonah. He tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is not the Israelites. And Jonah says, you say go this way, I'm going to go this way. You say go up, I'm going to go down. You say go east, I'm going to go west. And we said not listening to God, that Jonah flipped the bird to God. And we said bird, it was this type of bird. So if you're looking for sign languages. So we have, we have that sense of Jonah not doing what God wants. He finds himself on a boat with some sailors. There's a huge storm that happens. And they wake him up and they go, you need to pray to your God because many of them believed in different gods. And they were saying, who, in fact, who is the God that you serve? And there's the irony because we said that Jonah is written in satire. And he goes, the God that I serve, that I'm disobeying right now, he's the one who has created the land and the sea. And so like, wait a minute, you've upset your God and that's why this storm is going on? He goes, yeah, that's why I was sleeping, right? Then they ask him, Jonah, what should I do? And what should we do? And he goes, honestly, the best thing you can do is actually take me and hurl me into the sea. And the sailors tried not to, but they were like, normally I don't do this, but... Uh, Go ahead and let the party keep going. So they threw Jonah into the sea, and that's where we ended is a Jonah in the sea. Now, we get to the point in Jonah in chapter 2 that if you're familiar with Jonah at any level, if you've been around church, if you've been around people who've been to church, if you know the story of Jonah, you would say the story of Jonah is about what? If you use one word, a fish or a whale, right? It's a fish or a whale. And you've seen sermon titles like The Fishy Story 
or a well of a story. Well, I don't have any titles for that one because that's corny, and we're not going to do that today, all right? And so, and the book of Jonah is not about a fish or a well, but we have to deal with the fish of the well because Jonah was in the belly of the well. And there are many people who have a hard time with miracles. It's even as Christians, they have a hard time with miracles. And the thought of being able to understand Jonah means I really need to understand about this fish. And let me just tell you something. One, it is hard to believe. Let's just be honest. It is hard to believe that Jonah lived in a fish for three days and then the fish vomited Jonah out. Right? That's hard. And if you don't think it's hard to believe, um, you've never talked to kids. Kids keep it 100 every time. If you talk to kids, my, my son... One of my sons asked me, he goes, you know, it's kind of hard with the Bible. I said, what's hard about the Bible? He goes, they sound kind of like fairy tales. Like, what's the difference between Jack and the Beanstalk and Jonah? I'm like, it's God's word, boy. Right? And so <laughs> let's just acknowledge the difficulties of it. Now, before we get into the sermon part of it, let's, let's, let's explain that because I do want to deal with the fish. And that is this. There are volumes and volumes and volumes around about people on the spectrum. Those are the most conservative in biblical thinking and those are the most liberal in biblical thinking who try to prove or disprove um, uh, the history of this. Now, here's the problem with that. You can spend your time, which I probably spent more than I should have, looking at both sides of the arguments and realize um, and miss the whole point of what is happening. The point is not about the fish. The point is that we have a God who delivers and a God who saves so here's the thing. Before we deal with the miracle of the fish and of Jonah being in the fish, we got to go to the miracle of all miracles. If you can believe that God came into this world in the flesh, primarily in the name of Jesus Christ, and that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that God the Father raised him by the power of the Spirit from the dead, that whoever would believe in him shall have eternal life. If you can believe in that, then you can believe that Jonah was in the fish for three days. I appreciate that. Last hour was just kind of like, that's... Now, now to be, to, to be fair, to be fair, if you can't believe in that, it is going to be hard to believe that Jonah was actually inside of a fish. However, I would say let's spend more time talking about the death and resurrection of Christ to be able to understand that. Because when you can believe how God moves through that miracle, the resurrection and in him ascending to heaven, Jesus sitting on the throne and sending the spirit that we may now be able to believe in him and follow him, that is a far greater miracle than that of a, a, a disobedient prophet in the belly of a fish. And so the story is about God and his deliverance. And particularly today in, in Jonah chapter 2, it is about the unrelenting, irresistible, sovereign grace of God towards those of us who are in situations because of our own sin. So if you walk away and you go, what did the pastor say it was not about? It's not about a fish. What it's about, it is about the irresistible, sovereign, I mean, just pursuing grace of God, not in the mountaintop, but actually when we've blown it and how God's presence there. Amen? All right, guys, that, close your Bibles. Um, no. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace in which you give us, and we pray right now through your grace that you would reveal your word to us, that we may see Jesus for all of who he is, and how Jonah, even in the story, points to the type of God in whom you are, a God who loves our enemies more than we can ever imagine, and a God who exposes to us that we were first enemies. And your grace was extended to us that we may now love in the ways that we've been loved. God, I pray that we would see in the midst of all of this, God, what it is that you are doing in and through us. Father, we praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So as a high school uh, athlete, I, I liked a lot of sports, but definitely basketball. And 
my fear in basketball, because I was a little reckless, is that every time I would, like, do something really good, like, if I did really good, I would look to the stands, right? Especially if we had a home game, look like, y'all see that? Y'all see that? Right? That's what you do. And then whenever I would do something really bad, I'd look to my coach, because the thought was, when I did something bad, the coach was going to replace me, right? Because that's, that's, what, that's what coaches do. And so finally, my coach said to me, he says, why do you, why do you always do that? Like, why do you always do that? And I'm like, well, I know I did that turnover. I know I did this. I know you're going to replace me. And he said this to me, which is honestly such a good thing for coaching. He goes, what if you acted as if there was nothing you can do that I would replace you? And I was like, man, you about to see me bald. And if there's nothing I can do, I might try some other stuff, right? And there was that sense of going, what if I was not here to replace you, but what if I was actually here to grow you? I think we treat God like that. I think we treat God, and when things we're doing well or we're being obedient, whatever well means to you, is that we, we kind of look to the Christian community of the world like, y'all see me, y'all see me, yeah. I mean, it's all God, but it's really me, right? And there's, there's that sense, right? However, when we find ourselves failing and struggling again and again and again, it's kind of like we look to God to almost like he's going to replace us. Like now he's got a different plan for us because we have not been living um, according to the ways that God has us. And what if it is that when it comes to God's grace, his grace is not to replace us, but actually to grow us? And what if the same grace of God that is extended to us to know him in a way that we can follow him is the same grace of God that's extended us when we are absolutely at the pit, and a pit that we dug for ourselves? So hear me. This is not a message on what do we do with God in the midst of suffering, because there's many of us in this room that are suffering and going, God, why did you allow this? How do I see your presence in this? That's a different sermon. This is meaning I'm in a mess. I'm in the metaphorical belly of a huge fish because I put myself here. Jonah's in this situation because he put himself there. So let's deal with that first, and that is this. We say things like, I fell in the sin. No one falls in the sin. It's not like, no, oh, right? <laughs> that's, that's not usually the case. We walk and believe lie after lie and choice after choice that we, we put ourselves there. And so for the sake of this flow, one, because the, 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 the chapter that we have here in Jonah in chapter 2, it's a prayer. And so it kind of reads like a psalm. So it's not just a way you just go verse by verse by verse. You have to really understand what is the prayer that's happening. And so I have some points for us to be able to follow the structure of what Jonah's doing. So the first point here is start it from the bottom. The second point is God's plan. And then the third point here is hold on. We're going home, okay? Just came to me this morning in prayer. <laughs> I know some of you are going, what's so funny? Nothing. So, and don't Google it. Um, chapter 2, verse, or actually let's start chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So here's what's happening here. When I say start it from the bottom, when it comes to God's grace, right, we receive God's grace best at the bottom. In situations when we realize there is nowhere else, there is no one else in which I can go. There's a sense of desperateness that, if that's a word, there's a sense of desperateness. If it's not, it's now a word. There's a, that, that we're desperate to go, I need God. Right? 
Like, you, you don't usually realize that until particular moments where it's going, I have nowhere to go I, but up. And that is for God to do something in me and my circumstance and my situation that I cannot do for myself. Now, hear you. Hear me. This is a God who's present and would desire us to be present, not just in circumstances that you didn't cause. He's even present with his grace in the circumstances that you caused. This is a direct result of your failure and your sin. Someone asked me earlier today, is this going to be a message that will be for those who are not Christians more than those who are Christians? And just to let you know, every single message I have is for Christians and non-Christians because I think the Bible is for both. Because God is for both. However, this is a message for Christians who need to realize we need grace. And we need the gospel. And we need the gospel more today than maybe yesterday. And we need the gospel today because what? Tomorrow's not promised. So when we find ourselves at the bottom, okay, so let me just try to communicate this in terms of our need. So I, I like coffee a lot. Like I love to drink coffee. I think coffee loves to drink me. There's a great relationship that we have there. And so I found myself, this was probably a few weeks ago, I was at a particular coffee place, and I don't know if you ever had this experience where you, I, I ordered a coffee, and I, I might even ordered like, like something else other than coffee, like a muffin or something like that. And, and, um, and you go to pay, and you don't have your wallet. Right? And people are behind you, and it's like, yeah, I want this, I want that, I want it all. And it's like, all right, sir, that's going to be whatever the price is. And you're like, I got, and you're like, oh, shoot, like, man, did I order all that? I don't even have, this reminds me of my college dates. Oh, <laughs> my bad, girl. You think you can, you think you can, I got you next time. <laughs> so they're, they're, like, and so I'm there, and you have that weird feeling where people are behind you, and you know they're getting impatient with you, but they're not being gracious. They could have just said, oh, I got this, but they didn't. And so... In my mind, I'm thinking, I either have to say, I'm sorry, like, I can't afford it, I got to go back home and come back, or I'm good for it, and I'm just kind of looking around, because this particular place, I run into people that I know, and so I look around, and I see somebody from our church that I know, right, and I kind of know them, like, I don't know them, know them, but I know them, and I know that they know me, right, or they used to know what I look like, right, so I go, hey, what's up, uh, Ricardo, yeah, I know who you are, you're my pastor, yeah, I, 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 I am your pastor, uh, <laughs> and I have been for a while now. Um, and I said, listen, I'm in, a, I'm, in a, I'm in a weird situation. I forgot my wallet. Do you mind, like, paying for this? I mean, it's like you just, you know, random person, probably never had a conversation with her and was like, do you mind paying for my coffee? She's like, yeah, I mean, sure. That, yeah, sure. And so she paid for the coffee or whatever, and, and it was really nice of her. And I was like, I can pay you back. She goes, no, it's fine, it's fine. And there was just kind of that moment, right? Um, you have that moment. And then you have the other moment. The other moment is this, is when you're out to eat or you're with some friends and a friend of yours says, oh, let me get it. And you're like, no, 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 let me get it. And you guys come back, no, no, let me get it, let me get it, let me get it. No, 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 you got it last time. You go back and forth. And when they pay for it, if you let them pay for it, you're like, that was really nice of you. But it's, it's, it's kind of like it was nice, but I could have gotten it. Like it's nice that you did it, but I could have done it. When we come to God, there's two ways in which we come to God. We come to God the second way, which is like when we don't believe in sin, because our culture doesn't really teach us to believe in sin. Like our culture, from a therapeutic standpoint, might even let us know that there's brokenness in our life, usually as a result of the way our parents raised us or didn't raise us or things that happened or our surrounding or our circumstance, but hardly ever to deal with like, no, dude, it's your fault. Like all that stuff's true, but then you got some issues too, and it's your fault. And so since we don't have that, we don't really need, um, we don't really need grace. Like, we go, we, we look at sin that way, at best, the cross looks trivial. I mean, yeah, it was really cool what Jesus did, but I could have done that on my own. 
Or the way the gospel truly is, is no, you realize there's a price that you have to pay and you don't got it. So you have to desperately find who does and who will, and we find it only in the saving work of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to us being on the bottom, it is not something you're on the bottom and then God's grace brings you to the top. It is going sometimes we don't realize how desperately we need Jesus until we only have Jesus. And this is difficult for many of us, not all, because we have education, we have status, we have friends, we have so many things going for us that we can find ourselves in a position like, you do it, no, you do it, you do it. And God said, if you really want to grow in me, you always in this situation realize it only can be from God. God, would you do for me what I cannot do for myself? And here, 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 here's, here's the scandalous nature of God's grace. He'll do it. And then he'll do it again. But here's also the scary part about God. He'll let you get to the pit first. Some of us think we've done some things and we're in situations, but you know what? We're good. We're good. We're good. It would be just like the type of God and we serve to go, you know what? I'm going to let you do you for a long time until you realize how much you need me. Right? It's hard for us as parents. It's hard to see that. Some of you who have parents who are adults, you get it. You, 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 I don't know how you do it, but you do it. I think about my mom all the time, like, you saw me living like an idiot. And I was hoping she would say, no, you weren't that bad. But she was like, yeah, you were. <laughs> but I trusted in the Lord with it. God, because we have a relational being, when you have a relational being, it's not a mechanic relationship. It's very, very covenantal. And it would be like God and to say like Jonah, like, you want to disobey me? Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. See how that, see how that belly feels, Right? And it would be like our God to allow us to get to the bottom, but it's just like our God to also meet us there. And that's why when it comes to this sort of grace, this undeserving favor, it's not just something we need at the beginning of a relationship with God. It's something we need to sustain and ultimately complete the relationship that we meet with Jesus. Amen? Jonah says, I cried out from the belly of the fish. He literally says in verse 1 here that he, out of the belly of Sheol, which is another word for hell, he's saying it literally was like I was all the way gone, but that wasn't the end of it because he knew God's plan. The next point, verse 4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to our Lord. What Jonah does here is something we don't often do. Hear me, hear me on this. It is not natural for us to find ourselves in the guilt or whatever emotions and range of emotions we have from the consequences of our sin. Right? It, it, it is hard for us to reach out to God. As, as those of us who follow Jesus, you, you know, it, it, for whatever reason, we feel like we need to do something to get out of it. At best, what many of us do, we don't, we don't lean on God's grace. What we lean on is God's time. That if I could just go a period of time and not do those particular sins, then I can go, okay, Lord, now will you forgive me when really what we're trying to do is forgive ourselves. Let me just, let me just give you the equation of grace here. That is, let me give you the equation that you're doing that is, not, is an inappropriate equation for grace. And that is you, by your unbelief, we, by our unbelief, believing lies, 
and our own works apart from God dig ourselves into the particular pit. We're the problem. And yet somehow we think with our own works, with our own methods, and so forth, that we're going to get ourselves out of it. That doesn't work. We put ourselves there, we are on our back, and say, Lord, will you meet me, even though I don't deserve it, where I'm at, and will you actually reach down and lift me up according to the favor that you give me because of your son Jesus, not because of me. And we pray that the type of God in whom we serve that's revealed in the Bible, that's revealed through the gospel of Christ, that he will do that. And what Jonah is showing us, this is exactly the plan that God has for those who acknowledge that. And we see this because Jonah does what Jonah could do with the understanding that he knows about God. If you look back here in verse 4, it says, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. What he's talking about is, I'm in the sea. I'm not supposed to be in the sea. And I'm drowning. My life does not look good. And then he says this, but I remembered something. He says this, and yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. What is he talking about here? He's talking about worship. And you say, why is he at the bottom of the sea? thinking about worship. Let me tell you this. Worship is giving yourself to the things in which you believe in that are worthy. What sin is, is idolatry, and it twists it. We give ourselves to things that we think will satisfy and will last, and they don't. So we worship ourselves in some ways into the mess that we find ourselves. And the only way out is actually to change that worship. It's called repentance, and begin to look at the Lord, and we worship our way out of it. It's not in our efforts, but it's giving the worth to the one who deserves it. Jonah gets it. Like, as weird as Jonah is, in a lot of ways, as racist as Jonah is, he understands, I still have a God of mercy. He knows that. How do we know? That's the reason why he won't go to Nineveh in the first place. He doesn't want them to receive mercy. And yet God's like, okay, disobey. I have you where you are. Here, here's another thing we need to understand about this temple. Is for us, when we think about the gospel, as we should, because we have the, the fullness of God's word here, is we look at the cross and the resurrection. For them, the way the presence of the Lord worked was you went into the temple. And the temple in itself, if you look at the instructions of the temple, which most of us don't read through those details for the part we just skip over that, um, what you have the way the temple is made is at the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is the presence of God. And a couple things worth about the mercy seat. One is once a year there was such a thing as the Day of Atonement, or as Jewish people today, they celebrate as Yom Kippur. And the Day of Atonement was one time a year that the high priest would go to that particular place in the temple that was called the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would bring blood, of an animal to sacrifice for his sin, and he'd also bring blood of an animal to sacrifice for the sin of the people. And, and, and th what it communicated is part of what God's plan was, was when it came to the forgiveness of our sins, it was not something that we had to or could do on our own. It meant another had to give his life in order for us to be forgiven, which we see the fullness of that ultimately in Jesus Christ who goes into the true holy of holies, who does not bring um, a sacrifice for blood for himself because he himself was impeccable, but he sacrifices his own blood without spot, speck, or blemish in order for us to be forgiven and free past, present, and future. It is in the moments where we are finding ourselves in the muck of our own sin that we need to remember that the most. It is in the moments where we're looking over our shoulders saying, God, are you still with me? Or we have to look to the other side of our shoulder, God's like, I've never left you. So you have this picture of worship. The last thing about this temple, and particularly the, mer the mercy seat that he's referring to, is it wasn't only a place of forgiveness. When you read the instructions, it said it was also a place where God's presence would dwell. And sometimes what we need in our most moments of weakness is not a theology about God, not even just the doctrine of God, which I'm for both. We need a sense of his very presence. 
you, you guys know what it's like when you're in a situation. I was talking about this with someone this week. When you're in a situation where it's, you know, it's really boring. You love that friend to just be there who's the comic relief. Just, the, just them being there, like, this is horrible. And you look at them, you're like, yeah, well, it's kind of all right. <laughs> or that when you're scared. I mean, I know we don't get as scared as adults, but when you're scared and you have that person who's just, their presence alone is like, you know what, it's not as bad as I thought. And the moments of just not our highs, but the moments of our extreme lows, what we need is not just the theology of God's omnipresence, but a very sense of the presence of going, things may not be the way that I want them to be, but I'm so thankful that God's here. And I don't have to wait for time to time to time to go to him. I can actually go to him in the very moment and say, Lord, I'm thankful you're here. Lord, I need your grace and I need your presence. Amen? And the, the, the question usually when it comes to that is, are you saying that we have to find God? Here, can, I, can I just tell you that, that Jonah's not trying to find God in all of this. He already has God, and he knows that God is present with him. There is confession and there's repentance. And I know from there there becomes a question, of, do we find God or does God find us? Now, here's the thing. Um, let, me, let, me, let me get this way. So there's a story. I don't know how much of it is true, but there's a story of the young teenager who goes to Buddha. And he goes to Buddha, and he says, how may I find God? And then Buddha goes, okay, let's go down to the river. And he's thinking there's going to be some ritual cleansing or whatnot. And it, the story goes is that he takes, that Buddha takes his head and, like, dumps it into the, the river and keeps him there and then for a while. And then he raises him up, and he goes, I need air. He goes, yes, you need air. Until you realize you need God, you won't reach out to God, right? And there's that story. And that, oh, I need to realize I need God, and I'll reach out to him. However, the way that the Bible shows to us is we don't naturally reach out to God. And then you go, but, what, but I found him. And it's kind of confusing. And so the best way to describe it is, or one of the ways to describe it is, we took a trip to San Francisco um, years ago, and we had the kids with us. The youngest one was still in a stroller, and the older ones were probably like four or three or four. And it was a bad weekend for our oldest one. No, this is a bad weekend. I mean, just before this, um, we were getting off the bus and the city bus there, and the bus driver closed the door with his arm in it right? And so I punched it super hard, right? I was kind of upset because I really wanted it to break. I'm like, dang, I lost it. And so, um, and the, the guy opened the door, and then we're like, man, sorry about that. And he's like, oh, don't worry. It's not your fault, dad. No, I don't know what he said. And then we get to the museum, and we lost him at the museum. Yeah, we lost him. So, yep. And so he's lost. And, and it, listen, if you don't have kids, um, that's good. And if you do have kids, you're going to lose them. Uh, and so it is what it is. And so we lost him. And we're looking for him and so forth. And here's the thought is, now, we finally find him. And the thing is, he's looking for us. But we're looking for him, right? He is looking for us, and he finds us only because we're looking for him. When it comes to God, yes, we find God. But we find God because his love and his seeking supersedes us trying to look for him. We find him because he's the one who's on the hot pursuit looking for us no matter where we're at. Like, sometimes we think, and I've heard somebody say this before to me as a young Christian, you know, this guy was explaining to me, and he was wrong, and so he said, here's what it's like. When you take God to different places, if you go to a bad movie, and you're watching this bad movie, um, God has to stand on the outside. He can't go with you. And I was like, oh, man, I must not better stop watching these, you know, little bad boys. Three about to come out. Can I, can I see that? And so... You can't go with them. Here's the thing. And what we do, we also do that same way when it comes to our sin. We're in the pit. We don't act like Jonah. What we do is we think that when it comes to our sinful parts of who we are, that we have to take those things, leave those over here, because God doesn't love those part of us. 
Here's the crazy thing about it. Even though God hates sin and even though God deals with sin, he loves all of you and accepts all of you. That doesn't make sense to us sometimes because we have made God into something that the Bible doesn't say that he is. Jonah is a perfect example. God is saying, here's Jonah and whom I love, and here's all the issues that Jonah has, and I will accept all of those issues because he knows how to deal with them. If we actually realize that we can approach his mercy seat and the throne of grace because of the one who actually sacrificed on our behalf, whose blood was shed, who, by the way, sits on the ultimate throne now and reigns, and who, by the way, advocates for us even when we sin and forgives us past, present, and future. When we come in the name of Jesus, no matter what it is that we've done, that we may be able to receive God's mercy and God's grace on the spot. It's the promise that he has, whether we're in whatever metaphor, metaphorical belly that we find ourselves in. Amen? All right, we got to round this thing. Um, so we see start up from the bottom, and God's plan. And lastly, we're going home here. Verse 10. Let's read verse 9 again. It says, but, the voice, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You see God in this, in the sovereign grace. That God actually uses the fish not to punish Jonah, but actually to save him and to deliver him. And then it says that God speaks to the fish, and he tells him, spit this little dude up. And Vona, 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 who, by the way, <laughs> is a character in the Bible that you've never heard of. Uh, then Jonah, <laughs> Jonah is vomited up on the land. And you see this, this is actually an act of God's grace. That we don't always come out of the circumstances the same person, the same man, and the same woman who we were before we went into it. And God's not concerned with keeping you being the same person that you were. He's always concerned with making you the person that you ought to be in light of his presence and his grace. And what he's able to do is different than us. I think God, in, this, in a way, is truly like the ultimate artist. So... I always share these stories about my conflict with my dad. I need to share a good story about my dad. Um, so my pop, he's very artistic, like very artistic. Um, he had two broken arms at one point, um, for whatever reason, <laughs> when I was younger. And when he got the cast, the first one that healed was his left hand. And he drew on his right cast like this awesome race car with his left hand. By the way, my dad's right-handed. Um, it's pretty amazing. Like, we could never go to my dad for, like, school projects in terms of assignments because he just wasn't, just wasn't good at school. Um, however, if there was an art project, it's when I got to be like the other kids at school. Like, I always, like, would show up for these art projects, and these kids would show up with, like, full-on castles and everything. I'm like, you didn't do that. Your parents did that. So I'm like, yo, Pops, check this out, man. These, these kids up in there, you know, you gotta, we got to show these kids up. And he'd make something great. One of the embarrassing things that my dad did, but he was good at, my dad was the ultimate dumpster diver. Okay, we live in an apartment complex, and everybody would throw their trash in these huge dumps, these dumpster cans, right? And people would always say, man, we saw your pops over there in the dumpster. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, he's just recycling cans, uh, you know, trying to pay for us to go to summer camp so we can meet Jesus. Um, and so he wouldn't. We, we would have our friend's stuff sometimes. He'd clean it up, and like, I'm like, I can't go out there with that. They threw that away. But here's what he would do. He would take things out of this dumpster, and he'd put it together and make some of the most amazing bikes uh, and some of the most amazing things. One time he even rebuilt a whole go-kart, right? 
and you want to talk about being, you get a go-kart, you are that kid, right? You, you, you might as well have been, I could have died right there. Like, oh, this go-kart that you don't have, you know, right? There is, and I, I say that to go, what God likes to do in our lives, even in the mess that we make, the stuff that we are trying to get rid of, God is able to dive in through the person of Christ. Jonah spent time in the belly for three days only to be vomited out as a result of his own sin and God's grace. Jesus goes into the ultimate belly, and that is the grave, to conquer sin, Satan, and death. And after three days, God raises him up and promises that now through Christ, he, through the power of the Spirit, jumps into the dumpsters of our life. And he takes the things that we've been trying to regard, disregard and get rid of, and he brings them and somehow makes them together that we become something completely different than we could ever imagine. So when we say one man's trash is another man's treasure, God literally, looks, literally can look at the things that we've made trash out of. And through the blood of Christ Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, through our repentance and faith and believing him, can take the things that look like trash and now before the Lord that we become treasure. It's what God is trying to do to bring us home to himself. All we have to do is acknowledge the situation that we're in, the things that we've done, and our need for his grace to be able to meet us exactly where we're at. Amen? All right, close your Bibles. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. The book of Jonah is really not about Jonah. In fact, all the books in the Bible are really not about the people, but it's through the people that you revealed to us who you are like that we may worship you today and that we may worship you rightly. So, Father, I pray that you would show us and that we probably know because your spirit has been showing us areas in our life that we've just been disobedient. Areas that we've said no to you when you're asking us to say yes, and areas that we've said yes when you're asking us to say no. May we meet and find our, our hope in Jesus. May we understand, Lord, that you are all that we need. And that, Lord, no matter where we are in the bottom, even in the consequences of our own sin, that we would reach up and be able to receive the grace in which you give us. We thank you for the love that you shed us through your son, Jesus. We thank you for the resurrection of Christ, the greatest miracle ever, that we can now, in that power and in that strength, confront the inner Jonas in all of us. That we may be liberated because of the, the grace of Jesus Christ. And may we now, in response to your love to us, be obedient children who trust and follow you. We thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.